listening to The Curious Mother, a place where we unpack all things related to mothering. This is a community where we aim to create a comfortable space that allows for active discussion without judgment. Find us at thecuriousmother.com and follow us on social media. Our Instagram is at thecuriousmother. Our podcasts are meant to be safe to listen to in the car, around your kiddos, or anywhere you need a break. We will warn you if the discussion isn't appropriate for young ones, as this particular discussion is. We are so happy you have joined us. Welcome to The Curious Mother. Um, today, Melissa and I are lucky enough to be joined by Dr. Sharon Sullivan. And Dr. Sullivan is a pediatrician and dear friend of The Curious Mother. And so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, thank you. Thanks for having me today. Um, I have been a pediatrician for over 20 years. I have twin boys who are 13, so that keeps me uh, busy as ever. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) So, Melissa, what have you been curious about lately? So, I have been hearing all about the vaccination called Gardasil. And first, I was wondering, could you just tell us what that is? Yes, Gardasil is actually a brand name for the vaccine against human papillomavirus. HPV is what most people know it as. There are three vaccines out against HPV, and Gardasil is one of the brands. Okay, so that's a brand name, not just not what it does. Correct. Gotcha. So what exactly is human papillomavirus? Is that like genital warts? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is, actually. (laughs) I was afraid of that. (laughs) Yes. It is a virus that causes um, genital warts and cancer. It's um, HPV. There's many different subtypes, but some of the um, common subtypes cause cancer as well. Okay. And so the benefit of getting this vaccination is what? Well, the goal is to prevent cancer, specifically cervical cancer, but also head and neck cancer and other types of cancer. Wow. How is it related to head and neck cancer? You'll have to think about that one, I think. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. It's spread sexually. It's spread through oral sex as well as, you know, vaginal sex, anal okay. sex. Okay. So this vaccine guards against sexually transmitted diseases that could lead to cancer. Correct. Yes. Okay. Yes. How do we, like, can you, do you understand, can you let us understand it all? Like, how would a sexually transmitted disease then turn into cancer? Like, how does that even happen? Um, Basically, from my knowledge, is it changes the cells. So the majority of the population are exposed to this virus, actually, and, and it doesn't cause any problems. Most people clear it, but a few percentage of people don't clear it, and later on it causes changes in the cells in the cervix or other locations. Okay. So is this the same kind of thing that is picked up when you get your annual pap smear? Yes, exactly. That's why women go for pap smears. All right. So if we have this vaccine that is effective against us developing this virus, why are people freaking out about it? Um, There's a few reasons. I think the majority of people are concerned because it is an STD and they don't like to talk about STDs in general. That makes sense. <laughs> it does. So, so why would we why would we have parents get on board with vaccinating against um, kids who are not sexually active yet? So, you want your child completely protected against this virus before any sexual activity occurs. Um, um, also, the children build up a better immune response for vaccines than adults do. So, we know that. In your preteen years, you build up a better immune response to all vaccines, so that would be the best time to get it. 
I hear, um, you know, so now we're talking about sex and kids, and um, I've heard a lot of parents say, well, I want to teach abstinence. So this feels like a green light to my kid feeling more comfortable having sex and unprotected sex. I know. I hear that a lot, too, unfortunately, at work. But I think the reality is most people have sex before age 20 is what our research shows. And most parents actually are not talking to their kids about it, so they don't even know if their children are having sex yet. And they get exposed before they're protected from the vaccine. So I guess I'm also a little shocked to hear that this is closely associated with oral sex. Which is just something I don't think parents talk to their kids about, right? Correct. Like, we talk about sex and how not to get pregnant, but we certainly don't talk about how to have safe oral sex. Correct, oh which gosh. actually we need to talk to, to kids about that because STDs are spread through oral sex just as significantly as through other kinds of sex. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about um, what are some of the horror stories that that kind of create some of the resistance towards this? Other than, obviously, like, you know, I was thinking about uh, my son, full disclosure, has already been through the vaccination. Um, though, I think, did you say it's a series of vaccinations? So now I'm thinking that we might... <laughs> <laughs> you might need more. <laughs> yes. I'm that we've probably let him down because I feel like maybe he's only gotten one. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and basically the way we handled vaccinations with our kids is we just said, here, you're, you're getting this shot. So to me, um, hearing some of the objection about talking about sexual activity, that just didn't occur to me because it really wasn't even part of the conversation for the vaccine. Um, but I, I have had a couple of friends who've, um, felt that there were very big risks to the vaccines um, and even have seen on social media some stories that were linking it to symptoms similar to like multiple sclerosis where they have like paralysis or um, seizures. Um, and Yeah. Um, yeah, I've heard about autoimmune diseases being unlocked. I mean, people are talking about death, paralysis. There are really, really scary stories out there. And the parents sharing these stories swear it happened like the day after the vaccine. Yeah, we hear those too. Um, I fortunately have not seen any side effects other than just routine redness of the site and soreness in your arm. Um, we've been given the vaccine 12 years in my practice and have had no serious side effects from it. The literature and all the research into it does not link any of the autoimmune diseases that you're hearing about with the vaccine, um, but there's a lot of fear out there. I th- it's interesting in pediatrics because a lot of these illnesses will occur around those ages, and and there probably is not a link to the vaccine at all. It's just that's a coincidence. That's when it occurred. One of the best stories I heard once when was back when we were all debating the MMR vaccine and whether mm-hmm. it caused autism and all the fear. And uh, there was a child that was in the office ready to get the MMR vaccine. This is not at my office, just a story I've heard, but about to get his MMR vaccine, and he had a seizure in the office before getting the MMR vaccine. Ten minutes later, if he had had that MMR vaccine already, that family would have completely associated the vaccine with that shot. Um, so that's part of the problem in medicine is that a lot of these illnesses occur in adolescence, and um, may have occurred whether they had the vaccine at all. Yeah, I always wonder, too, like – Um, more of this is more my experience from the MMR vaccine is just as a parent, your child getting a vaccine, especially when they're a toddler or a baby, it's pretty traumatic from the parent perspective. 
And it creates this kind of permanent marker of memory of time. And I've always wondered how much that contributes to our association that the vaccine created this symptom, you know, because prior to having a vaccine, we're attending to their health, but not often the same way that we are afterward, particularly if we have any anxiety about it. And so I've always wondered how much we mark time as, you know, they got this vaccine and then this occurred, and how much that isn't just a, a... challenge with our own human memory, you know, that we've now, we have this thing that we can pinpoint versus the actual relationship. I hadn't realized that autoimmune symptoms or autoimmune conditions show up in early adolescence. That's new information Mm -hmm. for me. Yeah, they can. Um, I mean, they occur at any age, but you see them later in adolescence. So it could be just a coincidence. So question for you, because when it comes to um, this HPV vaccine or, or any vaccine, um, there is a lot of terrifying information on the internet. And there are a lot of sites strictly dedicated to trying to get people to not get vac- vaccines. And I remember um, when I had my daughter, I had severe postpartum anxiety. And I found myself going down these rabbit holes of being terrified of vaccines. And I would go into my pediatrician and just cry and cry and beg her, like, tell me it's okay. Tell me it's not going to hurt her. And thankfully, I had a very patient and kind pediatrician (laughs) who talked me off the ledge every time. And so we did choose to vaccinate. But where could somebody go to hear the other side, the stats of why it is safe, of how important it is? What are good sources of information for people um, looking to calm their fears? I would go to the CDC website or the AAP, the American Academy of Pediatrics. Those have excellent information about vaccines and their safety. Great. And what do you say, um, and obviously this can unlock Pandora's box a little bit, but, um, you know, one of the challenges I sometimes will see is when we try to fight fears with information, sometimes what happens is then we start to question the source of the information. And it's funny because I do feel like on one hand, you know, having a PhD, like I'm very heavily into research. It was the basis of my training. On the other hand, I can sometimes understand, like when you see studies not being funded because they don't have um, some source of income or revenue, like I can understand that a little bit the conspiracy theory that, you know, uh, we cherry pick the evidence that we release. Um, any thoughts on how we, we manage that element to it? You know, the, the questioning you know, like for people who feel like, oh, well, the CDC is in big pharma's pockets. That's the one that I, I feel like we hear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think I think you can trust the CDC at least to put out that um, the facts about how safe they are. They're doing all the research. They're taking in the numbers. If we have a child that has a reaction to a vaccine, we have to provide them with the information about that. Um, and then the AAP, I, I think they really research their um, information and safety as well and put out only facts. Yeah. So so the information from the CDC is not necessarily driven by um, the, these pharmaceutical companies. Correct. Oh, right. okay. Yeah. yeah. That makes me trust yeah. in yeah. <laughs> I know, And I feel like uh, yes. in my experience with the American Academy of Pediatri- Pediatrics is they almost err on the side of overseas safety yeah, just caution. from my, right. my own experience with mm-hmm. some of their info. And so mm-hmm. I, I do feel like I'd rather have a source that I know is being overly safe versus under so. I feel like they don't recommend routine vaccinations until they've done a lot of research on them. Going back to the HPV specific, 
Are there any warning signs that you would say this person should not get it? Um, no, there are uh, two components of the vaccine that are that I was reading about yesterday, and I, I can't recall exactly what they are. But if you have an allergy to those components, you should not have these vaccines. There, um, but otherwise, no. There's no other specific restrictions. Okay, so anybody can and should should have it yes i think everybody should have it um i've already given it to my boys they're 13 years old um all the whole series <laughs> uh no not the whole series yet so there is a series you have that's and that's a very good question and a very new new recommendation so in the past it was always three shots over a nine-month period um uh you can start them at any age all the way down to age nine mm-hmm. and get the vaccine all the way up to age 26 the new research shows that kids under 15 build up a better immune response, so they only need two shots, six to 12 months apart. If you wait till your child's over 15, they have to have three shots. Oh. Um, so that's the new research. So kind of the, I guess the interesting thing is if you, um, you know, luckily I guess we're not outside of the window of the series, but right. um, uh, I guess if you went with age nine, you know, there may not be that same kind of questioning necessarily. I mean, I think that one way parents could handle it is maybe the militaristic way I handle it, where you're just getting this and we're not going to talk Shot about time. what it means. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, um, but it sounds like it's also important to look at the age because at that point you're going to have less shots if you're more intentional about it and that's a relatively new recommendation so that has been um that's helped us in pediatrics be able to get the vaccine more accepted that when they realize it's only two shots the way i um uh propose it to a family and a kid if they're old enough to ask me questions about it is i just tell them it's truly a vaccine against cancer um that i don't broach the uh, STD talk necessarily with the 10-year-olds, but um, but I just tell them it's truly the one of the first vaccines against cancer, and, and I think they should have it. Um, the older kids, we talk about how it's spread. I say um, this is spread only sexually, and but the point is to get your body completely protected against it before you're an adult and ready to have sex. So um, now moving into more of that idea of what conversation should look like. Um, when I'm, I'm really still stuck on this head and neck and mouth. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> what about, um, so is it, is it possible to, if it can be spread through genital contact to mouth, is it also able to be spread mouth to mouth? No, I okay. don't believe so. <laughs> so not by kissing alone. Correct. Okay. Okay. Correct. But so I, tell me a little bit when you were introducing your boys to it. Any anything in particular you think is important to cover? I think I did the same thing you did. It's time for your <laughs> shot. You're just getting a shot. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I don't. I'm pretty sure that's all I did. Although I probably said what it was for. It's just against cancer is how I portray it to the kids. It's yeah. a vaccine you need. It's against cancer. Yeah, and it doesn't. I think the important part is that it doesn't create protection against all venereal diseases. You know, because I can imagine. Um, that for some kids, that could be a little bit confusing if they don't really understand that there are a broad variety of different um, illnesses or diseases that they can catch, that they may feel like, okay, now they're going to be protected, and that's not necessarily a free pass to not be protected. True, that's for sure. Uh, It only protects you against HPV, um, so you should be having that conversation with the teens as well, how to protect themselves against other STDs. 
one of the things you were kind of saying earlier is that you're, there's an overall trend that certain STDs are down, and it could be due to vaccines like this? Yeah, they have seen that HPV is, has decreased in the community. There's um, fewer abnormal pap smears already in young women, um, so it's really working. Um, so that's why it's important. What, uh, what does happen... Um and, you know, for what happens with cervical cancer? You know, I know that that's a pretty young cancer, or it's a cancer that occurs early in women, but um, what do we know about it? So there's about 20,000 cases of cervical cancer that are caused by HPV every year. Um, and most of them are in young 20 to 40-year-old women. Um, they're picked up often on pap smear, but if they're not picked up early, they can be deadly. Um, my aunt died of cervical cancer at age 60, um, and I don't know if it was caused by HPV, but most likely it was because the majority of cervical cancers, up to 80%, are caused by HPV. Is it also true that a lot of people can have HPV and never even know it? Yes, absolutely. And most people clear it. Most people are exposed to it. What does it that go- mean when you say they clear it? it? Your body's immune system fights it off, just like any other virus. Okay. Um, so you, you most likely were exposed, had no idea, and then it went away. But some people get uh, genital warts, which we haven't talked about. 99% of genital warts are caused by HPV. Mm. Um, and then some others go on to have cancer. It just depends on your immune system. So is this one of those things where, um, so I'm 42, um, would it make sense for a 42-year-old woman to get an HPV vaccination? <laughs> no, and actually they're not approved after age 26. Because, oh, really? <laughs> because um, everyone is assumed to be exposed. Um, so now what they actually do um, at the GYN is they test you for HPV, and if you are HPV negative, uh, then I believe the current recommendation is you only need a pap smear every three years if you're in a monogamous relationship. Okay. Good to know. Have you, do you know about this? Have you been tested for HPV? Yeah, I, um, I was tested you don't before. Have to show your <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I had to be tested before I went into labor. Is that right? No, that's no. probably HSV. Oh, yes. that sounds a little <laughs> more right. <laughs> yeah, or HIV. That's the all right, other one. all right. Yeah. 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 All very confusing. Yeah. <laughs> Too many viruses with three letters. Yeah. <laughs> So it sounds like, though, overwhelmingly, that the benefit outweighs the cost. Like, it's hard to imagine that by age 26, everybody would have been exposed. I guess that's assuming that by age 26, most people have been, have become sexually active, right? Right. That's the assumption, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Are there any downsides to it? I don't believe so, honestly. Um, uh, Their arm is sore for a couple days. Um, There are is a slight increased risk of fainting in the office within a few minutes, so we keep the kids there for about 10 minutes afterwards. But other than that, I don't see any downside to it, um, or I wouldn't have given it to my own kids. What would make you faint after a vaccine? That's usually just that because they're adolescents, they drop their <laughs> blood pressure. They're nervous. Okay. They won't say anything. They're too proud to say anything that, they're gonna, that they feel bad, and they go down. <laughs> okay, so it's more of like a fear response? Yes, it's a fear response, <laughs> and that, that they don't speak up because yeah. um, they're starting to feel woozy and they don't say anything. So we make them stay there. Uh, that's a recommendation from the AAP is just make them stay 10 minutes or so. Yeah. So, And then I guess the other side of that is um, figure out how to speak with them about activity or at least um, maybe, I mean, to me it doesn't really give them a free pass because there are a whole lot of other 
sexually transmitted diseases. So it's not like you're – I mean, I think it's interesting to think about the idea that some that some that there have been some arguments that now you're making it too easy for people to be able to have access to being sexually active. Mm-hmm. I mean, this to me sounds like yeah, it's pretty I really, low. Right. I think that's a ludicrous argument when I hear it. Um, I think it's it's a vaccine like any other vaccine we have. We're really lucky to have this vaccine to prevent cancer. Um, it has nothing to do with allowing or telling your kids that they now can have sex because obviously they can catch so many other things having sex versus mm-hmm. you know without protection, including a baby. Yes, yes. <laughs> including a baby. Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah, and yeah. So that bothers me a lot when people are like, say that that they don't want it because it allows their kids to think they can have sex now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that that's I don't know. It, it's one of those things where. Um, we do need to have those conversations, you know, and I think that maybe sometimes there's a discomfort about, oh, now I'm going to be forced to have this conversation. Um, but to me also, waiting until they're 13 or 10 or even 9, that feels like a really long time to have talked to kiddos about sexual activity. You know, I mean, I, I kind of would imagine that it would seem like you would have had that conversation beforehand. Um, do you find in your clinics sometimes that, though, that parents haven't been open to having those conversations with their kids? A little bit. It, I think it's more, when it's tied to the vaccine, I think they feel that their children are not going to have sex, so they don't need the vaccine now. I have them say that, right? They'll look at the 15-year-old and say, well, we don't need that vaccine. Um, and then I will ask the parent to step out and <laughs> have the conversation with the 15-year-old. Um, but... I, I think overall, majority of people are having conversations about sex at appropriate developmental times. But, yeah. But it's more that, for some reason, some parents, they just look over at their teens and say, well, we don't need that. Um, but hearing that, like, this this matters for their entire life. And so if parents think that their children will never be sexually active, that's really unfair to set them up to contract something yeah. in their 30s or 40s. Agreed. And I have actually had teens who have had sex without their parents' knowledge, obviously, and have not had the vaccine yet. And it's hard to broach that conversation without um, breaking the kid's confidence. You can't do that. So um, so I think it's easier to address the vaccine earlier. That's why we give it around 11, 12 in our office. Um, we have those conversations beforehand, and then it gives the kid the privacy as well. They, they are protected. They know that doesn't give them the okay to have sex, but at least they're protected. Does if they have had sex, does that change the course of the vaccination? No, you still give the vaccine, but you know they could have already been exposed, unfortunately. Oh, okay, but you still give the vaccine, <laughs> but you don't have to walk out and say, "Oh, they don't need it. They don't need it now." <laughs> no, no, you still give it, <laughs> but they may have been exposed. Yeah, um, you, know. you know, I'm thinking about even if parents, it sounds like really need to look way ahead to their children's life. And if it it is so easy to contract, right? I mean, lots of people have this and without any symptoms. And so their sweet daughter could save herself for marriage, but her husband could have it. Yes, that's Mm -hmm. exactly what I tell people when I come across a real barrier against it. I do say, you know, listen, your daughter may not have sex till she's married, but that doesn't, doesn't predict 100% that her spouse has not. Mm -hmm. And she could get exposed that way. Well, and sometimes people get married young, too. So, I mean, there's there's a lot of possibilities for it to cause struggles, yeah. you know. I think the easiest thing for parents is just to think of it as a vaccine against cancer. Don't think of it as a, a vaccine against STDs. Think of it as a vaccine against cancer that you would want to protect both your boys and girls against. 
and it's not, you know, by getting it, you're not challenging the immune system in some way that's going to tax it, you know, try right. to maybe put up a, a little bit of some blinders to the horror stories, you know, yeah. I mean. It's hard to do because there's a lot of mm-hmm. scary stories out there, but I, I feel confident with it and all the research behind it shows it's a safe vaccine. Well, thank you very much for your time. Um, and definitely uh, for our listeners, if you have other questions or things that you're curious about, please visit our website and leave those questions up for discussion. And um, we look forward to uh, seeing you again, Dr. Sullivan. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> thank Thanks. you. Thanks for having me. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of The Curious Mother. Learn more at www.thecuriousmother.com where you will find resources related to episode topics. Please join our community and add your voice. Follow us on Instagram at The Curious Mother. Thanks for listening.